What is going on, Fantasy Alarm Nation? My name is Justin Fensterman. Matt Sells with me. Ryan Howell with me. The band is back together for the Family Times podcast here on FantasyAlarm.com. Sells, what's going on, man? Welcome back. I'm good. I'm good. I had a nice little um, not quite as relaxing vacation as I would have liked last week, but it was good. Um, didn't have to deal with the – it snowed three times in Lincoln while we were not here. So wow. weather was – better on the east coast i guess in the 40s isn't it late march already like mid-march at this point yeah it's unusual but you know such is the case with the changing climate and all that good stuff so we'll see it's warmer now so we're good but is it late march it's the same day there that it is here but <laughs> listen man i like i forget what time of the month it is sometimes you know ryan it's it's, it's the month of march we're in full fantasy baseball draft mode right now. You forget what day it is sometimes when you have multiple sports going on. Leave me alone, okay? <laughs> Leave me alone. I'm I only can... an hour earlier. I know, okay, I get like it. Four days ahead. Technically, technically, you were same time zone. So what? I just I was this you. time. I just was... owned you. I owned Matt Sells, the Schwab. Something that That's will illegal never... to own a person, though. Okay, you know what? I fine. I bought you in the auction for three dollars. Sells okay. Also, we're both we're both Jewish. There's nasty stories in the. Uh, <laughs> okay, so Ryan, how about that pizza at one in the morning in New York City on Saturday? It was a good, good time, times. wasn't it? Yeah, definitely. Uh, I remember most of the pizza at one a.m. Uh, <laughs> it was a, a very good weekend down at Towers. Uh, had a great time uh, seeing everybody, hanging out Saturday night, having a few beer, uh, having several beers, uh, having some late pizza. Drafted on Sunday was was a lot of fun. Uh, I, have a, I have a good group of people to to play against, so uh, it definitely was a fun forty hours. If it just wasn't so damn cold. Right, I'm freezing. Dude, I didn't wear a jacket both days out because during the day I thought it would be warm enough, and I forget that the city it like shoots down 15, 18 degrees instantly. So I had brought my leather jacket up to New York with me to cover these events, and I barely even wore it until Sunday morning when I was leaving. I finally learned my lesson there, but I learned a lot of lessons, guys, especially about what players people are into. I, I want to just say this because I know that we've discussed some fantasy baseball auction strategy. This is something I was I was thinking about. Normally in auctions, whether it's in football, basketball, baseball auctions I'm involved in for fantasy sports, you, you see a lot of big names coming off the board first. You normally have your heavy hitters, especially in baseball. In one of those Tout Wars auctions, the American League only one, I had never seen such a divide, guys, between bigger names and lesser knowns being mixed into the first 40, 50 bids because normally they try to get a lot of the bigger players off the board, but then we're midway through the auction and you're still getting late 20s guys that are coming up for bidding, which I think is very interesting because I'm of the opinion of depending on where you're at in the first round of bidding, for me, when on auctions, I've always believed this. I've written about this in the fantasy football draft guide, and I really do think this is something I don't have any scientific, you know, evidence to back it up. But in the auctions I've been, if I ever have the first bid, whereas maybe maybe if I was somewhere else down the line in the first round, I throw out a player I don't want to get that money off the board. I feel that you can get that first player, the first player put up for nomination, 
I feel like you could get at a discounted rate because people got to get used to the bidding and everything like that. And that's worked for me in basketball. It's worked for me in football. And in the past, it's worked for me in baseball, too. And I kind of thought of that because you don't want to bring up the $1 player because then you're a little bit of a target in that regard. People know you sneak someone by. But maybe you bring up a tier two, tier three player. You get them for $5 or $6 less and sells. That's valuable money you'd be saving. It is. It definitely gives you the uh, proverbial hammer when we get to dollar days, right? Because you've saved five, six bucks on a guy uh, earlier in the auction. But um, I was unable to listen to the broadcast for Tout Wars. Uh, the car that we took across country did not have Sirius XM in it. Um, so thanks for the support. <laughs> apologies. It's in my other car, but that car doesn't do so well on road trips. Um but yeah, it, you know, from your description, if, if I wonder why people were bringing up cheaper guys earlier, you know, maybe just trying to sneak them past. Diego I Castillo. Guess. Diego Castillo was brought up in the first ten bids. I was sitting there shocked. Okay. I think I think people do it because they think people are like, well, I don't want to spend three dollars on this guy. I, you know, I, I can fill that position later on, and they're in there for the. The big bid. I I don't subscribe to that either. Uh, uh, it's been fully documented. I always start with guys I don't want. I don't know that I've ever had the very first nomination, but I'm always in on the. I, I completely agree. The first nomination almost always goes three to five dollars cheaper than what you think. I'm trying to think of who was the first one on Sunday. I know Julio Rodriguez. By the way, in the Talent Wars head-to-head auction that took place too so you were in one of these yeah julio rodriguez was my first buy and i know it was early i had second and i threw up judge because i knew joe galena as a huge yankee fan i was trying to get him to spend a bunch of money it might have been acuna who went for 40 but i got rodriguez for 37 so it was one of those couple guys uh, and soto was the highest off the board with 44 dollars in my draft yep we saw that that was very popular as well by the way cells you mentioned holding the hammer I got to ask you this, man, is holding the hammer as it, which means, by the way, keeping the most money for all those that don't know what holding the hammer is. It's said a lot when it comes to auctions, keeping the most money or a good amount of money so that by the time you hit the second half of your auction, you at least you think you can control the game by having the most amount of money to spend on whoever you want. But do you think that maybe holding the hammer is more impactful in fantasy football auctions than baseball because there are fewer positions and with baseball, the positions are so widespread that you're going to get good values anyway. And it's just when you're holding the hammer, you could be more of a target from everybody else with more positions to fill. You get what I'm saying by that? Yeah, but I also think it's more likely that somebody falls through the cracks in a baseball auction than a football auction because there are more players, right? And especially if you're in a league where people are nominating dudes who should not be in the top 50 inside the top 50, um, I think there's a lot of more chance that people will fall through um, the cracks. And it's not, it's not saying that I want to overbid on guys late in the auction. It's... I want to fill out my roster with the guys that I want and having the hammer allows me to go get the guys that I want, because at that point I'm not concerned about value really, especially in a redraft. There's no purpose in waiting for value, right? In keeper leagues, 
I get it because you're trying to save yourself money in the following years. Um, but it's for me, it's about being able to go after the guys that I want late in um, a draft, especially in the league. My home league does it differently, and I, I really quite like the way we do it, where we nominate, we draw a team out of a hat, right? We draw a team name, so like the Yankees. And then we read off their roster in position groupings in alphabetical order, and you bid on the guy when his name gets called, right? So the trick with that is you don't know when a team is coming up. So saving money throughout the auction makes sense a lot of times in my league because let's say for sake of argument, the Padres are the last team up. And a lot of people haven't paid attention to the teams that are left. Having the hammer and being able to go fill a roster with any number of the Padres guys is a massive advantage in my league. In a standard league, I've I still never like heard it because I get anything to... like this in my life before. Oh, it's fantastic. Like doing going team by team? Yeah. Wow. Ryan, have you ever heard of anything like this? No, not at all. Since 2400 BC, I've never heard of anything like this. Definitely not. I, I mean, I, I get and there's another layer of strategy to it, but that's a, that's a, that's a lot of layers of strategy. I kind of don't like that. It restricts you, cells. Not really. You still get to choose who you want to go after. I'm out, Cell. Cells, you play with some weirdo rules in your fantasy leagues, man. <laughs> you do in football. Like, wow. Just amazing. I mean, look, however, hey, man, whatever keeps you and your league interested in the fantasy sport, there are many different ways to play. I'm in, you know, I'm in an offense only fantasy baseball league, no pitching whatsoever hmm. and no normal draft. You just, you have the entire player pool and you pick from the hitters. I think it's like eight or 10 guys. You pick people every single week and you can only use them 18 times throughout the season. So it's there's like eight weeks. You can't use a guy. Yeah. Something like that. But does everybody get the same Yes, everyone has the same player pool. So it's a DFS league with limitations on Except no no price points or anything. No, but it's the same concept that everybody gets the same. So like everybody could draft Aaron Judge. Yes. The it's same when week you want to use him. Like if I know Aaron Judge has like if I know Aaron Judge has like the worst pitching coming up then probably everybody's going to use him that week. I can see that taken away from things if everyone's using the same guy. No, and I get that. I'm just saying that there are definitely unique yeah. leagues out there. I mean, going back to having the hammer uh, in, in a regular auction, uh, I've never really I, – I won't say that. When I first started doing auctions, I did subscribe to that, and I really never really felt like I finished the season well. And to me now, <clears throat> I'd rather spend an extra dollar on, say – Matt Olson or Nolan Arenado or Jordan Alvarez, the guys that I have, then holding the hammer and getting to spend an extra dollar on Alex Verdugo to get him or, you know, Santander to get him or, you know, these, these they are still quality players at the end, but they're a significant step down from the stars. And if you, you know, are, are holding your money to the end, I think you miss out on a lot of, uh, the upper echelon players to get a lot of the middle echelon players and so with me, free agency and, and, you know, no one's roster is going to look the same. So to me, and this is how, how I've, you know, had 
a little more success, but not like I'm winning leagues left and right. Uh, you know, the bottom of the roster guys might not be there in your team in July anyway. So why am I going to wait six, you know, and hold six dollars for a guy who might not be there? And the worst thing you can do is have six dollars at the end to just play, you know, bid on anyone you want. That means you left money on the table that you could have bid on other players. Yeah, I'm not saying I intentionally slow roll my auction to. Have well, yours is different. Yours is a whole different ballgame. Well, no, I mean in a standard auction, I'm not slow rolling my draft. But some people do sell, so they some, some people yes, intentionally don't say sell, don't spend. I will say that there are three or four guys in my home league that intentionally sit out teams that they should be bidding on. Stupid. So that they have money left in case a team shows up at the end. But the problem is with about five teams to go, you know the teams that are there, and they still just sit there. And then they have, like, one guy a couple of years ago had 10 bucks left out of a $100 budget. So that's 10% of his budget left because he just slow-rolled it. And that's too much, right? I'm not saying you sit there and you wait and you blow half your budget in the second half of the draft. Go get the guys you want. If you happen to get deals and you have the hammer, that's – the best of both worlds. I don't sit there and intentionally go, I'm not getting Aaron Judge because I want to spend three extra dollars on Alex Verdugo. That doesn't make any sense. But I'm also not going to go two extra bucks on a mid-tier guy when I think a guy who's slightly below him gives me basically the same return, right? So it's all about, to me, is roster construction. If, if you're happy with how the top of your draft is going, that's fine. You can sit there and wait for values to fall to you. If you need to push, then push. It's Right. A few, by the way, auction psychology tips that I can give you, because there's a lot of auction psychology that you don't seem to think about because you're so focused on the players. Number one, if you want a player, you go after that player. If you're in a bidding war, though, and you're going back and forth dollar to dollar and it's you and one other person, everybody else just hanging out, go up $2. If you really want the player, switch it up. Also, something else you could do is if you're going back and forth at a fast pace, sit there eight seconds. You have the time. Change the pace. You want to try when you're in that moment and you get that adrenaline rush. You want to try to throw off your opponent. And if you have a certain number that your player is going to and it's down and it's approaching that number, then, yeah, go up two instead of going up one. It'll throw that person off right away unless they really desperately want that player when they see the $2. But they're used to it. You get into a rhythm. One, one, one. Throw a two out there. Throw a $2 increase. I'm telling you, it'll stop them in their tracks. Whoa, they went up $2. Uh-oh, now they're thinking. You want to get them thinking. You want them to hesitate. He or she who hesitates has lost. You want that hesitation, and that is the way you're going to get it. Changing the pace of the bids back and forth, and sometimes going up that extra dollar throws off their game plan in the moment. Now, what do you think on – some people will <clears throat> say you're going $12. They'll immediately go 13 Like, right away, okay, 14 15 Like, where are you on poker face towards bullying? Because – I mean, I think there's a there's some there's some merit to both, but I I think once you get to a certain point, like all right, bullying, you know, you get to point across, hey, I really want this person, but at the same time, 
I've often, you know, you've often, okay, I think this person will go another dollar. Let's make them spend two more. So I think there's, there's that, that happens, to take into consideration also. That happens yeah. all the time in my home league. There's a, there's a woman who really loves her favorite team, right? Orioles. And so anytime an O's player comes up, she's immediately quick on the draw up again. And you're like, okay, I can push you for a ride and cost you later in the auction. And so if there's a guy that I want, I tend to take a little longer to counter because it's like you're thinking about it. You don't know if you're going to go up another, um, you know, buck or whatever your auction unit is or whatever. So I tend to slow roll it, and I know that people get upset because it takes a little long. Like, I'm not talking dollar bidding Kyle Tucker all the way up to, like, 35 bucks. Right. Oh, I also hate that. Don't put Kyle no. Tucker for $2. For yeah. God's sakes. No. Toss them out for close to what you expect them to go for. And it'll cut down on the bidding and you have a better shot of getting them for like if you toss out, if you expect Kyle Tucker to go, what did he go for in your head to head? Thirty nine. OK, so if you toss him out for, let's say, thirty five. A, if he goes for thirty nine, it's only taking five bids to get him there. Right. Right. B, if you're like, ooh, thirty five, it's going to give everybody pause. Like, yep, I we'll can't be- get a deal on this guy. Cause... Four or five people are out immediately. Right. Right. So you cut out half the room, you take the bidding process out of it, so you speed stuff up, which people appreciate in an auction, and there's a decent chance you can get them for a deal because everybody goes, ooh, I can't get, like, if somebody was hanging out hoping that they would, you know, cap the auction at 32 and you get them for a deal, now that's surpassed, right? You know you're not getting it, so... I tend to like tossing, like if it's a guy that I know should be going for a decent chunk of money, I tend to toss it out for close to that. I like that too, because again, it's less bidding. It's less, there's less hope that that player is going to go at a heavily discounted rate. If you set the barometer and you set the line and thus you're setting the tone. My suggestion for that is if you want the player, you put them out at the bid. If you don't want the player, Maybe you go a little bit lower and hope the bidding picks up momentum. If you want the player, though, Sells, you're totally right. You want the player, you put him out there. If it's a tier one, tier two guy, you put him out there with that chunk of money. Ryan just asked about auction bullying. Here's the thing with auction bullying. You're either a bully or you're not. It's hard to be a tweener. It's very, very difficult because part of auction bullying is setting the tone for the auction. So you're going to have to be aggressive with upbidding, meaning that you're going to have to take it on the chin a few times. You're going to end up with players you possibly don't like for a value you don't like. You are going to take it on the chin. You're willing to do that, and you've got a good under you've got a good under the radar plan of how to still get a team that's totally fine. Industry leagues. I remember Chris List from RotoWire. He had to make a decision because he's an auction bully. And he took it on the chin. He actively made that decision. You're not going to have that kind of success in industry leagues. Where auction bullying works the best is something that sell said, home leagues. Like, yep. for instance, in one of my football leagues, I play with a very big Philadelphia fan base. And I know that when when Miles Sanders was on there and even who was going in the seventh, eighth round, let's just say at the time, I knew I'd be able to start putting those guys out there. Jalen hurts, put him out there immediately. That's when I will start, you know, putting out players out there. I was in, come on. I mean, you guys know this guy. I was in a 
auction with Bennett Carroll. Everybody knows he's one of the biggest White Sox fans out there. I only put up White Sox. I knew he was going to go in, and then he messaged me eventually. He's like, I know what you're doing, and I kept doing it. And so it works in a home league when you've got multiple people that want, and especially if you know that they need to get someone from their beloved Eagles, which is something else that's stupid. When you play fantasy sports, your fandom, your allegiance as a sports fan goes out the window. You are signing a contract, not a physical one. And you are signing a proverbial contract that states that this team is what matters. This team is who you're rooting for. This team that you're building is your investment. Yes, you can still root for the team. Like, I root for the Mets still. But at the same time, I'm not going to biasly draft any of my fantasy teams, nor am I not going to ignore other teams like, oh, being from New York, I know so many fantasy baseball players who are Yankees fans who intentionally won't draft Red Sox. You're screwing yourself when you do that. It's stupid. You're eliminating player pool and actually a pretty good ballpark, too, when you do that. So I don't understand. If you're not going to fully invest in your team, you shouldn't be playing. And there are people out there that won't play, that even work in the fantasy industry, that won't play fantasy sports because they root for a certain team. That's a decision they make. If you can't make that decision, then you shouldn't be playing fantasy sports. Eliminating a team, and no, when you tell me you won a championship and you didn't even intentionally draft Red Sox, that doesn't impress me one bit. You got lucky. Congratulations. I mean, yeah. probably get away with the drafted Red Sox this year, but I know what you're saying. Yeah, you know what I, <laughs> I got, I, it's funny. I actually got a message this morning from Michael Stein, Fantasy Judgment. I'm sure you guys – he's a big Mets fan, so he was asking me a keeper question. He already had Spencer Strider, and he was deciding between three pitchers, one of which was Max Freed. And I was like, and who was the best of the three? It was Freed, Darvish, and uh, Christian Javier. And I was like, well – I have read the highest, but I can see you not wanting two Braves as a Mets fan. He's like, nope, might as well take advantage of them being good and win fantasy, even if my team isn't going to beat them. So, yeah, you got to. Well, I'll that's draft an interesting Cubs question, because do you want to tie two keepers up with the same rotation? In oh, case? it was actually it was a keeper, and he had the third pick, and he knew one of the three pitchers were going to do. Oh, okay. So he was using his draft pick, his first I pick. I think there are teams you could do that with. Like, for instance, Seattle. I think you could do that with Seattle. If you, I mean, I, I want to try to get in my, my big draft is coming up on Sunday. I want to get at least one of Castillo, Kirby, or Gilbert. Like, I, I desperately want one of those three on my teams. I would be open to two from that squad. Yeah, I mean, it's not, it's not an automatic no for me. It just depends on the team, right? Like, I'm not going after two Pirates pitchers. Not a chance. Going after one not going pitcher. after. Pirates have two pitchers? <laughs> I mean, Mitch Keller looks better. And Roente Contreras, I actually just traded for in a dynasty I league. I call him Ronus. Ronus. <laughs> I, sometimes I'll call Ronus Ronzi. Um, but, like, you know, so it, it depends on, the, it depends on the, the team. But, yeah, you cannot. And, again, I hate to keep going back to my home league, but this one woman with the, with the Orioles just <laughs> – It's amazing because she sticks so much to the Orioles that you can literally see her success in the league ebb and flow based on how good the Orioles have been that year. So, like, right now, she was in the money last year because she had a bunch of Orioles and they had a pretty decent season. Now a bunch of her carryovers are Orioles, like Gunnar Henderson is one of them. Um, She's got a few other guys. And so her, her, 
you know, financial ability to win in this league is tied to how good of a farm system or season the Orioles are going to have, which is an entirely stupid way to do this. <laughs> but, you know, it. I understand if you want to get at least one person from your favorite team, because then when you watch them, you have extra motivation to root for. But to stock your entire, like, you don't see Ryan going out there and doing nothing but Cardinals. Cardinals. Like, yeah. I want my entire infield to be nothing but Goldie and Arenado and Edmund and Brendan Donovan. Sure, that's a really good infield, but there's also a chance that if it goes horribly wrong, so does your fantasy season. So don't just stock up on your favorite team. I will it's, say I do have three of them, though. I noticed that. <laughs> I'm looking at the team. I, I mean, mean, I think I got them all at pretty good values. It wasn't right, like but I got them look- fine. Yes, Listen, you do was, have in my league, in my home league, in cells. I didn't screw up the keepers this year. Freaking idiot! I'm a freaking idiot, keeping freaking Jesse Winker going to Seattle last year, throwing back Alec Manoa. I can't believe oh, that. And the I, dude, I don't know what happened. I I had already kept the pitcher. I had four keepers. I'm like, you know what? I could probably get this guy in the first five rounds. Nope, he went in like round two, and that was that. And I remember going to Sells and being like, yeah, I, I kept Winker. And he's like, oh, I would have kept <laughs> Noah. And I'm like, wow, maybe I should have thought about this a little bit more. I'm so stupid. Yeah, but By the way, this, real quick, this will I get keeper questions all the time. And I know a lot of people keep prospects, like target hitters as prospects because you don't know what will happen with a pitcher. But in a keeper situation, I lean towards keeping the pitcher more than the bat. You can find bats everywhere. The difference between like the 10th second baseman and the 30th second baseman is practically nothing, right? The difference between the 10th best pitcher and the 30th best pitcher is a massive difference. So if you're torn between they're about the same value, they cost about the same, um, or the pitcher costs a little bit more, I'm leaning towards the pitcher. Here's who I kept sells. Let me tell you, because I know I didn't screw it up this year. Trey Turner with my first round keeper, Aaron Judge with my second round keeper, then Justin Verlander, see, I'm a Mets fan, but still, Justin Verlander as a sixth-round keeper, which I thought was tremendous. And then, see, I'm a Mets fan, Austin Riley as a 14th-round keeper. That's impossible see? to say no to. Right, <laughs> but it, but you know what? There's no bias with me. My, my fantasy teams, I'm a huge fan of the teams that I root for. My fantasy teams are the focus. My fantasy teams take priority. They pay the rent. My crappy New York teams do not. Yeah, as a Jets fan, I drafted Brady like seven years in a row. Because Yeah, of course. People won't draft Brady back when he was on the Patriots. You're not going to draft Tom Brady. Don't play fantasy. Just don't do it. Don't do it. And trust so I have, I have want no you problem. We want you to. We want subscribers and everything. But you're, you're, you might as well play it to the fullest extent and leave yourself the highest possible outcome to succeed. And by eliminating teams because they're rivals of the team you root for, garbage that's not how you play fantasy don't do it and if you come up to me like one of my cousins does it's like oh i'm not drafting any red Sox, and i'm gonna win the championship doesn't impress me you got lucky like i said so with that guys let's go to the family table here on the family times podcast here cells you're back in action with us here you want to lead us off at the family table yeah i tweeted about this uh yesterday but chris russo should not be on television i'm sorry he shouldn't even be on radio anymore mad dog you gotta go he is atrociously bad at his job. He's horrible. Your job is to talk about baseball, and you said you were not amused by Shohei Otani striking out Mike Trout? Really? 
really. And your idea for this was Mike Trout strikes out 175 times a season? No. No, he doesn't. His average is 156. He's topped 175 one time in his entire career. And by the way, you want another stat about Trout striking out? You want to know how impressive that Otani one was? In 61, almost 6,200 career at-bats, that was the 24th time that Mike Trout has struck out on three swings and misses. The 24th and 6,200 at-bats. So you want to tell me you were not amused? Really, Chris Russo? Then get the hell off my television. Sorry. He is terrible. And he's... How bad he is? He made Stephen A. Smith look like a reasonable <laughs> guy talking baseball. That's how bad Chris Russo was. I'm sorry. If you want the game to grow, why do we have these old, outdated white guys who are comparing Mike Trout to DiMaggio, which isn't even the comp, by the way. It's Mickey Mantle because his stats are basically identical to Mickey Mantle at the same time. But you want the game to grow, and you have these old white guys going, I don't like the pitch clock. I don't like the shift band. I don't like this. I don't like the bat flipping. I don't like the strikeout. I was not amused by watching a Japanese guy strike out Mike Trout, who are teammates, in a do-or-die situation in the bottom of the ninth. Get him off television. Should not be talking about baseball. He's bad for the game. He sounds like crap. You're ill-informed. You knew this topic was coming, and you still couldn't do the proper research? Really? Really? Go away. That's a Radio Hall of Famer you're talking about right there. So, well, look, everybody's got their opinion. He's a Hall of Famer, and he still knows what he's talking about, and he's fine. But there comes a time and place for every Hall of Famer to go away and stop talking. I hear you. And I don't know what Mad Dog I, – I mean, I don't know what Mad Dog thinks in general about the WBC. It sounds like he doesn't think much of the WBC, and he probably views things as like Edwin Diaz getting hurt. As See, this is why we shouldn't have the WBC. I mean, because – I mean, I, I think the WBC is someone who wasn't really thinking too much about it, who got sucked in to everything that it brought to, to baseball, to the life. The life it brought and the focus it brought onto baseball made a lot of people, I feel like, more excited about the season starting. And then you've got the people who are like, this is bad for baseball. See, players are getting hurt now. Edwin Diaz, the best closer in baseball, now out for the year, hurting himself, celebrating. I mean, look, it can happen to anybody. And I'm, my guess is that Mad Dog doesn't think much of the WBC. And a lot of these guys who are old heads, like in baseball analysts like Mad Dog, they have trouble with changing and the evolution of the game. But like you said, Cells, the bigger picture should be how do we make baseball better to get more of an audience? And if speeding it up a little bit, the ghost runner is stupid. They should get rid of that. That I freaking can't stand and hate. And there is nobody out there. There is not one person, not Matt Sells, not Ryan Hallam, not Bender, not anybody that can convince me that the ghost runner is good for baseball. The shift, the pitch clock speeds it up a little bit. I'm all fine for that. But the ghost runner is the one thing that I'm not. I'm going to die on that hill. That it's stupid and it changes the outcome of the game. Yeah, well, two other things about the WBC, real quick, and then uh, one: ninety-seven point four percent of televisions were watching the Japanese USA game at, when Shohei Otani struck out Mike Trout. Ninety-seven point four percent of televisions in one con- in in the country of Japan. Can you imagine that many TVs in the U.S. being tuned? To the same thing at the same time? No, I can't. Secondly, there was a pitcher who was as of yet undiscovered, and I can't remember who he pitched for. Apologies for that. But he struck out 
the heart of the Dominican order, right? He struck out Machado, Soto, and one other huge bat. You know what happened the next day? He was signed to a minor league contract to come play for a major league team because they saw what they liked and they signed him. This kid would have been throwing in dirt baseball fields for the next, I don't know, 10 years before being discovered. So you want to tell me it doesn't matter? These kids are getting shots that they never got before. And how about the Czech electrician who struck out Otani and then his baseball jersey sold out in Japan because Otani went with a signed jersey and gave it to him and then, you know, it matters. I'm sorry your guys got injured, but Gavin Lux got injured in spring training. Like, I'm for it. I'm for the WBC. Ryan, I want to let you get in on this. What do you think? I've never, I, I will say I have never watched it. I still did not watch it this year. I, for for the first time in probably a year, there was something on Twitter that I was actually enjoying listening to people talk about because so many people seem so excited about it. Uh, but I did not watch it. I mean, obviously, Mets fans are not thrilled. Astros fans are not thrilled with Altuve getting hit. Arenado got hit in the hand with a pitch. Thankfully, he was okay, and I just saw Wainwright's going to start the season on the injured list, so I would imagine that's probably WBC-related. But, yes, it can happen anywhere, but clearly it's putting Edmund Diaz aside, who was a celebration injury. I mean, it does put you in a little bit more situation to get injured. I will say, I'm not buying it because they're not taking spring training to ramp up. I'm well assuming that these guys who know they're playing this are getting themselves ready earlier than, than normal players. Yeah. So, you know, I don't think that, you know, the, these pitchers are throwing for the first time in a game of WBC. So anyone who thinks that I think is dumb. Uh, I, I might watch it next time. I think it's about three years for, for the next one. Yeah. I mean, it certainly, it didn't pique my interest enough to watch it. Uh, I was kind of a little buried in NCAA basketball stuff for work. So I, I didn't really get to catch it and it was out of town wars. So, you know, it was on TV, but I really didn't get, so I, it definitely caught my interest for the first time. I was never even remotely interested in it before. So I would think in, in, in three years, I'll probably tune in some. So, yeah, it takes some time to, to get these things. It's not going to be the World Cup, you know, the soccer tournament for the entire world in its first, what, 10 years or 15 years it's been around. Uh, it takes time to build. It certainly, t- I think, took a gigantic step forward uh, this time. And I expect next time it will be even bigger. For me, for the what I'm bringing to the family table is just some advice to everybody because I know it's fantasy basketball playoffs and talking with a lot of you in Discord. And again, I, I want to first say a few things here. We all have busy lives at Fantasy Alarm. We all do a lot of work, but Discord is there for a reason. And I am here and everybody else is here to help you. And you shouldn't shy away from answering questions. Now, just like anybody else, there are parts of the day that are busier than others. Sometimes you can't just answer the question. Sometimes you're in the middle of an assignment. Sometimes you're on a show. If you, There are going to be times where, you know, we just don't get back to you for a couple hours. That's okay. Don't take that as a sign of disrespect. Don't take that as we don't want to talk to you or anything. But there are going to be times where we're right there, available, ready to roll. And then there are going to be times where it might take a couple of hours for a response. But that doesn't mean you don't stop asking, please. We are all here to help you. And when it comes to basketball, especially right now in your playoffs, I am here to help all of you. And I'm going to tell you guys that you might have to drop some of your impactful players that are playing short slates over the next couple of weeks in order to get the guys playing full slates. Look to see who's playing four games when it comes to waiver wire pickups. You need the production at this point. 
even if you're in Roto and you're sitting there five, six points ahead, no lead is safe. Things change very quickly overnight. Don't coast and make sure that, A, if you're in head-to-head league, once the teams are eliminated from the playoffs, unless there's a prize, a stupid consolation prize, you're turning off waiver access, ads and drops for those teams out of the playoffs. And number two, look for those teams that are playing full four-game slates. Some of the teams that are playing two-game slates this week are playing four games, like Detroit, for instance. They're playing four-game slates next week. So make sure you're constantly looking at that. That's the best advice I can give you. And commissioners, turn off waivers to those teams that are completely out of it. No prize on the line for fourth place or whatever mediocrity prize you want. So make sure you're turning off waivers there. That's the advice that I'm going to give. But Discord, please feel free. Hit us up in the basketball Discord, the season-long one. You can also hit me up. I know a few of you DM me directly. You can do that, too, on Discord as well for Fantasy Alarm. Brian, what you bring it to the You think Halliburton's playing on tomorrow? I don't know. Dude, I don't know anymore, man. I I thought that maybe he'd be playing for the last three games, and I've been 0 for 3, so I'm a bad person to ask, man. I don't know if Indiana's just keeping him out. It's so weird with them because there are some teams that are obvious. Your Spurs being very obvious, messing with their rosters all the time. The Pistons, they're being very obvious. We're hearing that Damian Lillard could be shut down in the next few games and the Blazers might take a hike and just play their bench the rest of the way to better position themselves. But the Pacers are one of those teams where they're still playing their main guys. So maybe this game upcoming, maybe next game, but I'd have a backup plan ready, Ryan. That's my Yeah, I've got an part I've been playing him. Good. Can we get Jokic to take a day off ever? Does that guy ever rest? No, he's fighting for the MVP right now. Him and Embiid are in a in a I don't want to say a dead heat. Embiid's actually surpassed him on the odds that I saw in DraftKings Sportsbook. It's up to the voters, but both of them are vying for the MVP. I was actually very surprised because last night, we're recording this here on Thursday, last night I had Joel Embiid over 33 and a half points with no James Harden, and the Sixers were beating the Bulls so badly that Embiid didn't even come out of the locker room for the second half of the game, and he didn't even play. He barely took shots. So stupid and frustrated. So be careful with all that because if a team's up big, they're going to bench or start. Nothing you can do about it. We had no news ahead of time that Embiid's minutes were going to be watched. What about you? I mean, Brian? I don't have much for the family table. It's spring. I'm happy for warm weather. Three of us are going to be grilling, having some good food, having people over. Can't wait. So happy. You know, the clock's changed. I hate people are like, oh, I lose an hour of sleep. You get an hour of daylight every day for six months. It's worth that hour of sleep. So uh, I'm sitting here. I'm looking at my deck and just excited to be out there and spending time outdoors, having fun, dogs running around, and just winter is so close to over. I can't wait, man. I got to – I was telling my wife, I got to grill some chicken. I just got to freaking grill some chicken. I just want to grill 15 pieces of chicken for the week, keep the temp low, keep me out there a little bit, have my veggie tray in there too, put some seasoned peppers and onions in there, man. I It's been a few weeks because it's been just so crazy with the traveling. I And I know Cell's got a new cookbook as well. I just want to grill and grill a lot. It's so much fun. And for those, by the way, that don't cook – I wasn't someone that really could do much more besides make an egg white omelet. <laughs> Grilling has changed my life. It's changed my perspective on things. And I love it so much. And I have one motto, and that is grill everything. And that is exactly what I do. And it's so much fun to go out on a day. And I'll tell you, as someone who used to do that, eventually you will 
uh, graduate to, in, to inside cooking because that's where I started too. And then once you get the hang of it, once you start getting a little confidence, then you start doing stuff inside and, and you, you'll be full, you'll be well-rounded soon enough. Yeah, I just don't. I don't want to become a baker. I'm a. I love. I'm not a baker cook. either. I don't like, my, baker. my wife bakes. I yes, cook mine too. I like. I like mixing and matching things and just sticking things in recipes that may not belong. And you can't do that with baking, because then that's stuff what goes Guy Fieri does, though, man. You see the menus that he has at his like new restaurants. Bro, that's up. banging. I it's but but it. that's what he does. Jesus he combines man. things. Yeah, I mean, you you just see him take up yeah, one he bite of hair food. dye and hair gel for a personality. Yeah. Yeah, hate that guy. Yeah, <laughs> you hate guy. I hate you. Stop talking. Like By the way, I made I made hobo packs the other night for dinner, and they they were delicious. Nice, nice, very good. You cook with the bacon grease too. You go to the next level there. You keep the bacon grease. That's smart. When I actually my grill has a little side pot, and I put a. You know, I put the the pan on there, and sometimes I'll grill some bacon. I'll put, by the way, a little like maple seasoning on there too. You get like a little maple glaze. Bacon doesn't hurt anyone. Oven, save that grease, and gently put it on like certain meat, like you are. But sometimes I'm just in the moment. I forget. You have bacon grease as the part, an essential part of what you're cooking, cells. So cells, he can yeah, be truly a child over here. Then you take the bacon grease and you put it on. Well, for the hobo packs that I made, the the grilled potatoes, I literally just put uncooked bacon on top of the potatoes and wrapped them in foil, and then as the bacon cooked, the you know, the bacon grease dropped down and became the liquid to cook the potatoes and the bacon grease. So amazing, man. I gotta go get a chicken sandwich right now. So with that, let's let's wrap it up here, guys, and just let you know fantasy baseball and the MLB season starting up. If you haven't gone to fantasyalarm.com, get your free, that's right, free living draft guide that's up there from rankings to prospects to sleepers to bus to mock drafts here that we've done as a staff as well and predictions. All are up there. Get ready for DFS as well. If you're an NBA, we'll keep hanging with us there. NBA's DFS and season long as well. Give Ryan Hallam a follow on Twitter at Fighting Chance. Give Matt Sells a follow at The Sells Man. I'm at Fence Sports. We'll be back next week. But for now, as we always end, a family that sticks together wins together.